Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing my dad, and he is a really phenomenal ethical leader, and he's been someone who has shaped a huge portion of my life and my ethics and my values. Um, so I'm really happy to have the opportunity to have him on the podcast. And without further ado, let me give you a little bit of his bio. Um, and this is from him. So Paul Passon grew up in the Chicago area. He studied business and law and embarked on his professional career driven by a core life purpose to increase happiness and reduce suffering. He spent the early part of his career working as an attorney and social worker at the Chicago Legal Clinic and Jane Addams Hull House. Um, in 1992, Paul had the opportunity to join the family business, Radio Flyer Inc., uh, in an operations role in their Chicago factory. Paul has spent the last 25 years as an owner and leader, partnering with outstanding Radio Flyer team members to fulfill the company mission and bring smiles and warm memories that last a lifetime. Delivering on this mission has inspired Paul to build himself as a leader, to move to China for 10 years, to create and lead a global operations team, to study best business practices and implement them throughout the organization, and to play a lead role in the overall company process of transitioning Radio Flyer from a small, poor-performing manufacturing-driven business into an innovative, fast-growing, best-place-to-work and profitable global brand. As for his hobbies, Paul finds his great fulfillment in his relationships with his wife, Jane, and their two children, Joy and Augustine. Hey, that's me. And Paul is an avid hiker, paddleboarder, birdwatcher, fisherman, gardener, and genuinely loves the outdoors. Without further ado, here's Paul Passon, my dad. So basically, we're going to start with a personal question. So if you'd like to pick a number between 1 and 26, you can do so. 18. 18. So 18 is uh, what is currently causing you stress and how are you working to resolve it or how would you like to work to resolve it? Wow. Well, with COVID, we've been, had a lot of transitions and um, probably what's causing the biggest stress is we've had a personal transition of my wife, Jane, has some health issues. And so we've unexpectedly moved to the north woods of Wisconsin in a really remote, isolated location, which was very good for her health and to protect her um, from the virus. And it's been wonderful to be part, to experience you know, the beauty of nature on a daily basis. And what's been interesting is just over time, the isolation, kind of the impact of the isolation and how, how, how I did and probably Jane, my wife did also just kind of undervalued the value of the community we had where we were living and how when that's taken away, even though you have many of the key components to kind of living a full life, that absence of community really um, has an impact over time. And so that's been creating a little stress and probably a good kind of stress where it's the kind of stress that motivates you to take action. And so it's really causing us to really think about, you know, what's the next step and how do we kind of, where are we going to find our community and, you know, what kind of community do we want to be a part of going forward at this stage of life? So that's probably yeah, I can definitely mind. relate to that. It's been an intense transition. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm i up here with you, so I can relate to a lot of the stuff you're going Oh my gosh, it's my son, Augustine. Oh, wow, crazy. <laughs> I didn't even realize. Um, Small world. Yeah, it's interesting. I think something that's going to be very important going forward and a direct result of COVID is people are very aware of their community more so than I think previously. And maybe even in, in a smaller sense from their community, but their like small circle of friends have definitely become very important to me. And I, I guess the same thing is true of other people. Um, but I guess kind of one thing I'd like to push you a little bit on that question is you mentioned 
you know, the stress factors that it's causing, but you haven't really talked about what, what would you do to improve that? And like, how, how will you seek out that community going forward? Yeah. Well, we left a really, we had um, moved to our last community or kind of, it was a very vibrant community. We had really good friends. We were very engaged in, in our church and in our social life and our friends and our uh, connection to the city where we were living. And we realized that, you know, we, we want to be back there at least part of part of the time we want to be back there. And you know, what's a sensible way to reenter into basically the kind of the physical, create a physical footprint that makes sense. That's maybe more modest and more practical for longer term, especially, you know, we're in our late fifties now. And, you know, one of the things we've learned is, is how fast time passes and how what's right today is not necessarily the right fit for tomorrow. And while you can't always plan for the future or and you don't want to always be kind of focused on the future, we do want to make uh, choices that will lend themselves to um, aging well for ourselves and, and be a good fit as we age and kind of transition to different stages of life. So we're in the process of trying to find a place back in our community. And we're also working really hard to stay connected to our, our, our friends and family that we left behind to keep those relationships, you know, vibrant and healthy and be engaged in those relationships so that they're still there. And um, when we come back and actually um, this is a little bit tangential, but that is one of the things, especially as I've gotten older, I really learned is just the older you get, the more important relationships are and that you really realize that, you know, your the richness of your life is largely dependent on the quality of relationships you have. You don't always necessarily need to have a lot of in, intimate relationships, but to having um, healthy, kind of committed, kind of munificent, kind of nutritious um, relationships. <laughs> Can I get a, you should pay attention more, son. That? What's that? <laughs> What's that mean? <laughs> uh, it's nutritious. It's, it's, it's an environment which allows you to flourish. You know, um, that's just key. I mean, you, you you value that more and more, and it brings you more enjoyment and um, uh, satisfaction. And and I realize the importance, and it requires work to, and effort to maintain and, and develop those relationships. So, one thing I'd be kind of interested too from someone. Um, you know, being my father, I'm very aware of how much you two, you and mom struggle with technology. <laughs> I, I had to help you set up your microphone for this call. And I, I, it was very apparent. Um, but one thing I wanted to ask is, you know, an interesting transition for for the younger generation has been kind of moving to to the online platform for communication. So texting has become really big, you know, these medias, uh, mediums like Zoom or, or Discord um, have become really prescient for for exploring relationships on an online forum. But I would assume that that is less true of your generation. And have you found uh, an ability to to maintain communities online or, or has that been a struggle? Uh, you know, my most recent experience was maybe to preface my, my comments is I'd like to say I'm a very progressive person in many ways, but I'm pretty <laughs> much Amish when it comes to technology. Uh, but I started in two, in February of 2020, I started a new job. Then it was a job that was very different from anything I'd done in the past. I took a position as the um, chief of parish and school operations for the Catholic Archdiocese of Chicago. And the, the focus of my job was leading teams that supported our the Catholic schools and parishes in Chicago. So the Catholic Archdiocese of Chicago runs the largest private school system in the United States. So we had about 45,000 students. And about uh, I think it was like five to seven thousand employees in our school systems, plus all of our parishes. 
I started that job uh, February of 2020, and then the pandemic hit full force in Chicago in March, and the state, the mayor um, and governor issued the stay-at-home orders, and we had to convert our entire operations from in-person, low-tech, low-resource to virtual. So our schools had to go completely virtual, and all of our churches closed. And we had to convert and, uh, and, and and communicate with those communities, our parish communities, church communities, uh, all virtually, you know, uh, electronically. So really a cool part of the experience was, even though we were a relatively re- low-resourced organization, we were able to, to make the transition quickly. And luckily, some of the foundational technology had been put in place by, by the archdiocese. And so um, Microsoft Teams was in place. No one used it. No one knew how to use it, really. And within a matter of weeks, everyone knew how to use it and was using it. And for a new team member, it was awesome because I actually got to know many more people faster and um, more intimately through that virtual process than I would have if I had been working in person in the office. So it was interesting that necessity forced the change and forced the made a made a less steep learning curve because it just had to be done and we had to learn it and it was really it was really impactful for me it was real lesson a lesson for me to learn how you know the value of technology used appropriately is really an uh, kind of a growth accelerator of uh, you know an organization development accelerator so uh, that was awesome you know i don't have a natural inclination to want to learn more about a lot of technology you know, one of my favorite quotes, I was involved in a charitable organization that we were, we were working to build science and technology schools in Haiti. And I was I was creating the website for our organization. And I came across a quote from Carl Sagan. I don't know if this is exactly, you know, um, verbatim, but basically he Carl Sagan said, the world is exquisitely dependent upon science and technology. And almost nobody knows anything about science and technology. So, so I probably fall into that category, the, 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 nobody, the, the nobody's that know anything, but thanks to you, I'm, I've got a support network. <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing that I'm kind of interested too, is from an executive's perspective in, in the archdiocese, what, what did you find to be, the strengths of shifting to that online medium and what were some of the the drawbacks? Because personally, I've been reading a lot of literature on it because of my job at Magnolia Tree, but kind of more tangibly, do you have like, maybe you could personalize that a bit and what did you sure. find? Well, I, you know, what we were trying to do with our, in large part, what we were trying to do with our studies Chicago was build learning, learning communities with through our schools and also building faith communities, you know, and in both those venues or those, you know, yeah, those arenas, really what people are looking for is connection and community and engagement and purpose and a sense of belonging and a sense of being known, you know, you know, I'm part of a community where I'm known. There's people who care about me and love me and really have my best interest at heart and that I can be of service to and that they can be of service to me. And so initially early on, as we went all virtual in our churches and schools, a lot of people um, were really had been become very isolated very quickly, but with the ability to connect virtually um, and with technology, they felt, all right, even in, in this difficult, strange, unusual situation, 
these people, my community still cares about me. I'm still part of a community and it's, it's important for me to continue to be part of that. And Hey, I'm going to start attending religious services online. Um, I'm, you know, our, our, we went from not broadcasting Sunday mass to broadcasting Sunday mass with tremendous attendance and also uh, our members of our, our, our religious community reaching out directly to their parishioners and connecting with them on a personal basis electronically. And that was really powerful for people to know that even in this crisis, those important um, touchstones of, of parish, of faith community and school, uh, on the school side, we went to virtual learning and our, you know, our students, teachers were you know greeting them every morning and trying to do innovative new ways of teaching and staying connected and supporting their students. So it was, it was wonderful in terms of, but over time, what do you find is that there's the lack of intimacy or the lack of personal physical connection and being present, you know, being present for people. And, you know, it's important. Uh, I, th- I think, I think too, you know, you're asking me about my willingness and interest and ability to adopt technology. I think for um, younger generations who've grown up with technology and where technology is such an important part of their lives, they haven't experienced any different way of living. And so, yeah. you know, older people will say, you know, kind of um, bemoan, you know, you know, some technologies and how it's create separation. But one of the things I think is so important is for people, for young people to realize there, there is another way of doing things. You know, they've never experienced the lack of technology, but I think that over time, that's going to be a really important, um, important lesson for younger people to learn is they can turn off and it's okay to turn off and it's good for them to turn off. And there's other ways of staying connected or you don't need to be that connected and you're still okay, you know, and you have relationships that are really meaningful that can survive or withstand some separation and some distance. And that actually is kind of a healthy thing. Um, So, so it's always that question of balance and Right. And kind of in that vein, this is more just a personal interest, but did you find that the organization got more centralized or decentralized as a result of going online? Did did you feel like the individual parishes kind of became their more like an isolated island um, as a result or, or, or was a greater, you know, did you, did you start having these larger online yes. know, sermons and stuff like that? And, you know what I would, the way I would describe it. Is, so there's maybe, two different organizations. There was the Archdiocese team that worked together, you know, and that's, you know, it's the, it's our teachers that are at, so each individual parish operates as its own entity. So there's a pastor who's kind of the, the CEO of that parish. And then there's the parish teams and there's the, and there's the school teams. And then there's the central uh, Archdiocese administrative offices of the Archdiocese of Chicago. And so there was always, it was almost like a, somewhat like a franchisee, you know, a franchise, you know, where there was the central organization, like the McDonald's headquarters, and then you had our individual franchisees out in the field, you know, and so there was always a rift. There's always been, you know, somewhat of a disconnect between, you know, the home office and the people who are in the field doing the work, you know, which is natural in organizations. Sometimes it becomes a very siloed. One of the really um, great opportunities of the great um, benefits of the COVID and going virtual was, I would say we became more inclusive, you know, um, in terms of the archdiocese team, the central administrative team, we had a lot more people from different disciplines working together, being pulled into virtual meetings that could host a lot more people practically and efficiently and quickly and on a regular basis. And we got to utilize the skill sets and the the gifts of many of more of our team members, folks on very 
very, being very focused on one specific problem or set of problems and bringing in all the talents and the more of the talents and resources of the team by being more inclusive. So that was huge. And then in terms of improving the relationship between the home office of the archdiocese and our field teams at the parishes and schools, it was, we held a lot more meetings, you know, where we had to educate them on how do you go virtual? How do you put in safe COVID uh, protocols for keeping the students and parishioners safe? So we had to lead a lot of that centrally, but then execute in the field. And that medium and that tool of virtual communications and being able to communicate more quickly and reaching more people with centralized distribution of information was really powerful and really kind of saved the organization from a, a potentially really disastrous result. So it was, it was powerful to be, to experience and be part of that, you know, being part of an organization adapting to this new reality and really just trying to be resourceful and mine the talents of all of our, as many of our team members as possible to figure out how to, how to get through this and how to salvage the, um, to protect the organization, preserve the organization. Well, thank you so much for sharing about that. Now I, I'd love to move on to a, a leadership focus question. So we again have our little list. And if you'd like sure. to pick a number between one and 20. Uh, uh, six. Six. Okay. Six is if you had a magic wand, how would you change your workplace, the environment, and the world you are in? Uh, yeah, that's, so a, that's had, a big one. <laughs> yeah, you have an so easier I one? I want five. I want number had, five. You've had two very distinct careers that I feel have been had some similarities, but have also been very, very different from each other. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you were to go back and, and change your workplace, let's target the workplace because that's a very open-ended question. How would you have done that at the Archdiocese? And how would you have done that at Radio Flyer? So the majority of my career was spent at Radio Flyer as a, as a owner and senior business leader and chief operations officer. And we went through a really... A radical period of transformation and rejuvenation and um, development. We went from an old historic company uh, that had was founded on great principles and created great products, uh, but that over time had developed some very bad habits and had not changed with our external environment. And so when my brother and I joined the business in our mid early and mid twenties. I was in my mid twenties. My brother's in his early twenties. Um, it was a crisis situation. We we're almost, the business was almost going under and we were faced with not being, not having the skill sets we needed to be able to solve the problem we were facing at least initially. And then having a tremendous need to change. Otherwise we were going to die. Um, so we really embraced this. We were young and we had energy and we probably had less fear than we probably do now. <laughs> and we just said, Hey, look at what do we got to lose? Let's try to turn this thing around and not just fix the problems, but let's try to build a great organization and build a great company. And if we can do this, everyone in the organization will benefit and we will benefit individually. So we embarked on this process of change and, um, wisdom and knowledge acquisition. And we basically just became like sponges. Who in our industry, who does, who's doing things really well? How do we learn from them? We didn't have a lot of money. We have, we had limited resources. 
So we just had to be very practical and just kind of do a crash course, deep dive into building a business, you know, building a consumer products company, building an excellent product development organization, building a global supply chain, getting really great at servicing our customers who are the mass market retailers, the big box mass market retailers who have really um, high demands, high compliance requirements, high um, customer fulfillment requirements, and becoming great at all those things. Um, And most importantly, just staying true to our original core values as an organization, clearly dividing our vision, mission, and values. And, um, and then on a daily basis, just making good individual, you know, decisions and truly living our values and living our vision, mission, and values. So that one we made, we went from being a low performing in terms of, um, being a great place to work, financial performance, um, product innovation, we were just low performing when we started. And over the course of 20 years, we became a best place to work, a highly innovative organization. Uh, We grew financially, we became profitable, and it was just a really uh, awesome experience. So there's less that I can think of immediately there in terms of, I guess what I would say there is, you know, it took us years. uh, And before we realized the importance and the need to change, uh, I guess we saw that pretty early on but we maybe didn't have the confidence or the um, were as, as highly motivated in the first five years of being there, maybe five that I would say from day one, I would want to hit the ground running. I mean, I guess hindsight's 2020, but yeah. knowing what I know now, I'd say we needed to make change faster and be more aggressive and radical in our changes sooner. You know, one question I kind of had about that was, uh, you know, when you were just getting into it and you really didn't have a knowledge base to approach the problem, what were the resources that you you pulled from? You mentioned looking at other companies, but I know that's like not easy to really get an inside look at a company's model. So how did you guys kind of piece that together? What, what Where did you turn when you were looking for information? Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is um, throughout my life, both personally and professionally, it's been um, a really wonderful experience that, you know, the right people show have shown up at the right time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and oftentimes I found that if you allow yourself to be vulnerable and are willing to ask for help and to be able to clearly express to people what kind of help you need in general, a lot of people show up and step up and are willing to help. And I think innately for many people, if not most people, people want to do good. You know, people want to help. People want to have, feel a sense of purpose and feel a sense of relationship. And um, if you ask for help, generally people are willing to help and they want, especially people who are senior in their careers or have right. gone through tough times and have learned, they want to share those lessons with people. They want to share their wisdom, you know? And so we just very practically, one of the things we realized is, uh, and I think this was essential to turning things around at Radio Flyer, we realized that we didn't know and that we didn't have the skill sets and we were not the caliber of leaders that the organization needed to solve its problems. And so we had to build ourselves as leaders. And so we went out looking for resources. We couldn't bring in consultants. We didn't have the money to bring in a lot of consultants and that kind of thing. And oftentimes a a consultant used very strategically and, 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 and in a very focused way is amazingly helpful. I think oftentimes people, organizations bring in consultants because 
they don't have the institutional will to change and, and they don't have the focus. And so it's basically paying someone to help them solve the problems that they already know they have, but they just haven't confronted the tough stuff to try to really distill down the essence of the problems. Um, So we found a couple key, Dr. Jerry Bell runs Bell Leadership Institute in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. He was instrumental um, and we got to know him through the Young Presidents Organization. We just tried to leverage all the resources we had, you know, who do we know, you know, who is, who is in our industry that's, that's doing this well. Um, We had our, asked our customers, asked our suppliers, you know, um, if they, you know, could help and that kind of thing. So it was just really kind of building a network of resources based on existing relationships and then build, trying to build new ones. Um, Very kind of grassroots kind of building, you know, organic development of, of uh, knowledge acquisition. Yeah. And, you know, growing up around the company, another thing that I've noticed is there's this really strong emphasis on, on values uh, in Radio Flyer. And I think that's pretty important given this is an ethical leadership podcast. Sure. How did you, I guess, first of all, how did you go about deciding what values were of critical importance to Radio Flyer? And then how did you guys go about implementing them in the company? Uh, all right, let me try to it's break a, that down. It's a big down. question, so, I know. <laughs> so Maybe first of all, it started at home. I, honestly, this is, a, you know, we, we are, Radio Flyer is a privately owned family business. And so my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, Antonio Passon, started the business. And he immigrated from Italy um, at a very young age, in his early teens, uh, alone, um, uh, maybe mid-teens, like 15, 16 years old. Came to the United States, didn't speak English, um, had come from a large family in Italy. He was the only family member to uh, immigrate to the United States. And he, um, he suffered, you know, he had, a, it was, uh, he went through a scary, challenging experience coming to the United States alone. And there were some really good people that helped him. And he had a, he had a really solid foundation of values that he, um, he got from his family at home and through his faith. And, you know, through his immigrant experience, um, he really developed a, 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 a clear mission that he wanted to own his own business. He wanted to build beautiful products of high quality and he wanted to provide people meaningful, sustainable employment. And so throughout his career, those were kind of essential cornerstone values. And my father, uh, you know, worked at my grandfather's side from a very early age. Uh, he would be going in the office with him at the factory, um, nine, 10, 11 years old, shadowing him. And those values were kind of pounded into him. And so then we, in turn, as, as um, the third generation, as young kids saw my father, my grandfather living those values. And so when we started and the business was failing, um, those values weren't specifically articulated. You know, they were, there was not a nice poster on the wall with our values, you know, clearly, clearly listed. And, you know, in the, in the first years, you know, we, we, we had a lot of baggage as an old organization where we hadn't confronted some of the challenging um, problems facing our company Mm. and um, had developed some bad practices that were not in sync and not, not conducive to making the changes we needed to make to survive and to thrive. So when we started on this change process, you know, we learned that um, this new concept of, uh, you know, for example, the book, Good to Great, um, you know, was a resource we used and learned from and really, you know, served as a key um, roadmap for building our, and, and, and um, so the idea of leading with a clear vision, mission, and values 
was something that we started studying and learning about. And what we did that was really interesting was we did a company-wide. So by the time we did this, we also had an office in China. And so both at our U.S. team and our China team, we went through this process of, you know, meeting, meeting with all of our team members and trying to going through this process of defining our vision, asking people what they felt were our key core values as an organization. And what did they see was, you know, what do they want the company to become? And, the, you know, as far as our vision and for our mission, you know, why will we do it? You know, what's the purpose involved? Why is it important that I commit myself personally to this mission of the organization? What's a mission that I can commit to that's of value that provides meaning? So what was really interesting, both in China and with new employee, newer employees and our longtime employees in the United States, we went through this process of uh, meeting and discussing, asking for input. And there was this tremendous consensus throughout the entire organization of what our values are, you know, that had not been clearly, you know, written down on paper, along with the vision and mission that people felt would inspire them and what they wanted the company to become. So we went through a company-wide process of defining those. And a lot of it was drawn from our history and our past and what people lived working for Radio Flyer. And then we just really then uh, synthesized those into clearly, you know, articulated uh, mission and values. Yeah, this is a bit of an abstraction of that, but you had the great fortune to come from a foundation, like a very powerful foundation in Radio Flyer, where the values, while maybe not clearly defined, were kind of in the bones uh, of yeah. the company. Yeah, It's not always the case that you have that going into an organization. And if you were to approach a new organization that didn't have that foundation, how would you start you know, defining value and creating value? I think it's essential, you know, one of the great um, gifts that we had that my brother and I came into a family business that was, uh, you know, 80 years old, 85 years old, when we joined, and had this great legacy, but that was not well, we had some serious uh, health issues, underlying, underlying issues, underlying. uh, And the great gift we had was that we were decision makers, we were in a position of being able to make decisions to define and to lead the process of, uh, you know, it's, it's really critical that we didn't do it, you know, on our own completely, that we, it was an inclusive process where we included the entire team. Right. And that's where a lot of the power came from. But once we, as an organization, decided on what our vision, mission, and values were, then it was our job as leaders is on a daily basis is to lead the team by lead the team by vision, mission, and values. That that's a part of your daily work. It's not a pretty poster on the wall, but right. that's on a daily basis. People see the senior leadership team living those values and holding the team accountable to live those values. You know, to inspiring the team to to live, you know, to live the vision, mission, and values, but also holding the team accountable and then creating structures and process that support that. You know, we're a children's products company that's based on a very, you know. Our mission, you know, is, is to create smiles and create warm memories that last a lifetime. It's really to nurture the wonder of childhood. It's to support and foster early, you know, healthy childhood development. So we had, when we were really hurting in terms of financing as a company, we were approached by a very successful brand at the time to produce products for them, you know, and it was a great financial opportunity but the values of that organization were highly different. It was a very kind of 
you know, from our point of view, it was a much more mature kind of aggressive kind of vulgar, you know, um, kind of ethos that this company had, but they were very successful. They had a TV show they had, you know, and, you know, we were, we, for a moment, they're like, geez, should we do this? And they were like, no, this is completely contrary, contradictory to our core values. And we have to live by our honor code. There's just no way we could do this. Right. And that was when you see your team members, you know, the organization sees you making those decisions and making decisions based on your vision, mission, and values. It reinforces those behaviors, you know, and, you know, what you reward, the behavior you reward is the behavior you get. And so that was key. Did you ever feel at Radio Flyer that you slipped up when it came to values? And if that did happen, what did you guys do to try and come back from that? Hmm. Yes. Yes, we did. I'm trying to think of a specific example because everyone, (laughs) you know, you always have failures. Well, sometimes, for example, you know, one of the, I don't know if this was such a good example of values. I was thinking more of, you know, one of the important elements of being an effective leader is to build in the right products and services. And we made plenty of mistakes on that, you know, in terms yeah. of, you know, deciding products that we'd pursue that weren't the right products and consistent with the brand. One of our core values that we tried to, we tried to coin and to make in a very memorable, we call it the little red rule. And that's every time we touch people's lives, people will feel great about Radio Flyer. Right. I'm trying to think of their examples of where we did not do that. And we had to take ownership for that. You know, probably, you know, with toys, there's a lot of toy safety standards that come with toys. And, you know, the way the Consumer Product Safety Commission works in the United States is you can, um, they can find a problem with your product. If there's a manufacturing defect or design defect, they can find it and then force you to take action. Or you can you can find it yourself. And if you become aware, you take you do voluntarily take action, maybe even to the point of a recall on a product, which is very expensive and uh, damaging to the brand potentially. And I guess that would be, that would, that would be a good example of when we really started living our vision, mission, values, and we had always done this in our organization, but when you're confronted with, Hey, here's a problem on our product that it does violate a, a toy safety standard it's a minor violation. It's really questionable whether it really poses a risk to a child or not. It's really to say, well, geez, this could be, this is going to be super expensive if we have a recall list or something. That yeah. we, we always erred on the side of being super cautious and voluntarily doing any kind of a recall or rework of our product. And people really, that, that had a big impact. I think it had a big impact um, to our customers and our employees in terms of saying, Hey, we're really, we really walk the walk. Yeah. I'm sure there are other examples, but that one comes to mind. Right. You want to go back to the questions? <laughs> Let's get into they're the leadership question. They're difficult. There. Yeah. That, I, I, they're interesting. Um, so you want to pick another question? One to 20? One to 20. All right. 11. 11. Okay. Uh, do you have a purpose in life? There you go. Oh, <laughs> nice, <geez>. easy, wow. low. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, softball. <laughs> uh, softball. That's a, that's a tough one. <laughs> no, um, to, you know, complete transparency and frankness. That's yes, I do. And it's something that I continually think about, you know, and struggle with and sometimes feel like I'm not sure about that's probably been a, one of the bigger, I'd say personal challenges of my life is finding purpose and making, yeah. you know, am I, you know, who am I and why am I here? You know, and I think those are fundamental questions. Um, yeah. Particularly with leadership. I think that's a huge issue. I think you, that's a very good question as it relates to leadership because 
most often when leaders um, stray and they get off course or they crash and burn is because um, either they didn't have a purpose or they lost sight and got disconnected from their purpose. Right. Personally, my purpose is the one that I've adopted and it was through a process called life mapping is, you know, I want to increase happiness and reduce suffering and help and not hurt, you know, and those are, you know, broad, but when you just kind of make those your kind of your mantra, um, it has a huge impact on how, how you live. And I feel a strong sense, and this probably comes from my personal faith of, you know, I have a, I have an important purpose and responsibility in, in whatever ways I can. They don't be, you know, monumental or save the world kind of, but how can I make the world a better place? How can I bring more joy and uh, peace and grace and compassion and love and mercy into the world in very small, simple ways and sometimes maybe more significant ways, but, you know, um, kind of having those guiding principles or, or sense of purpose. Yeah, I mean, kind of in that boat, one of the things I've personally struggled with kind of in, in this stage of my life is that, you know, finding that thing that gets you impassioned when you pursue it. And it feels difficult to distinguish at times uh, drive and purpose. And by drive, I mean, you know, I, I've had colleagues, I've had friends who they have a goal that they want to accomplish and they pursue it really intensely. And it's hard when you don't have that goal, but I kind of wonder if a goal is different than a purpose. And I was wondering if maybe you had any insight into that, maybe in a time in your life when you pursued a goal and not your purpose. Um, and how do you distinguish and between those two things? You know, my initial and my immediate reaction is yes, there's a, they're significantly different, you know, Purpose is the reason for why I am, you know, this is, this is the essence of why, you know, why it's important. I exist. A goal is a, a mechanism or a, a tool of, or, you know, is how do I translate my purpose into reality or action? Right. And so if it's my purpose to increase happiness and reduce suffering, okay, what does that look like on a daily basis? What am I going to do today, you know, to make that happen? Or, are there important issues that, you know, resonate with me that I've identified it that, you know, connect with my purpose and that I want to have impact on? So is it social justice? Is it the environment? Is it ethical business practices? Is it, you know, uh, building uh, good foreign relations, whatever that might be, it can take any form and um, it can take any scale, you know, in terms of it can be a small, simple activity that I do today at a one time, or it can be a life's work, you know. So purpose is, I think, the core motivation, the core, the core drive, and a goal is an animation, you know, converting that core purpose and animating it into, in, into uh, action, converting it to action. Yeah. And to kind of go further on this, I found that I can identify my purpose. And obviously it's not complete and it's, it's a constant growth process, but I uh, probably largely due to you, I have a pretty similar purpose of, you know, increasing happiness, decreasing suffering. But at times it can be really hard to set goals that kind of embody that or, or, or to come up with a path to pursue that uh, purpose in action. And how did you go about doing that in your life. And, and, you know, now that you've transitioned away from your career, 
how are you thinking about setting goals um, to, to continue to have, yeah. have uh, to enact your purpose? Yeah. I, the uh, excellent question. I mean, uh, it's a, it's an ongoing process, you know, as long as you're breathing, as long as you're alive, <laughs> it's an evolution, you know? Um, so I think in order to find, um, happiness and engagement and purpose, you have to keep reassessing and reevaluating. Like what is, you know, when I was your age, you know, um, I went through this, I, I had done a life mapping process when I was in my late forties and I was transitioning from, spending 10 years working in China with and having you guys, the family with me to transitioning back to the U S and questioning whether what's my role going to be for the future. How am I going to find purpose now, uh, work purpose, life purpose. And I went through this really interesting life mapping process. Uh, it's a tool that was created by Richard Leiter, who is kind of an expert in uh, purpose, uh, finding purpose and living your purpose. And, um, you know, it starts out really simply, like, what does a good day look like? You know, what would a great day look like? You know, what do I do when I get up in the morning? You know, what do I do after that? You know, then if it, and then building it out from there, what does a great week look like? What does a great month look like? What does a great year look like? What would a great life look like? You know, yeah. and you you take a, this a kind of a methodical process of building that out and creating a, a roadmap for your life. And it's a map that is always, you know, under construction, you know, and roads are changing and some are closed and some, uh, some need to be uh, rebuilt and some, you know, you follow some, you change course, but it's this, I think that's, that's the important part. It's just this constant, because continual, not constant, but a continual process of being, um, of introspection, of evaluating if, is my purpose still if is my purpose today still in line with what the purpose I found where I found purpose 10 years ago or do I am I going to find purpose and I think just as people age and you go through life state different life stages uh where you find purpose um and how you find purpose changes and it um it's important that you continue to to be intentional and, and uh, work at it you know work at finding your purpose you know do you still set checkpoints today where you check in with your purpose? Yeah. You know, actually right now I'm probably due to do it. You know, I've kind <laughs> of, you know, uh, it's, you know, when you're, when you're younger, a lot of it just happens out of necessity. So, okay. Right. If you're fortunate enough, you, know, you grow up, either you have to find a job after you get done with school. If you're fortunate enough to go to college or university, then it's like, okay, now I need to find my job and build my career. How yeah. do I do that? Um, then you're working your career. Usually you have pretty clear direction in terms of, okay, my organization needs me to do this in my job. If I want to advance, I need to do these things. You know, I'm going to do those things as you get older, especially if you're fortunate enough to have some security, you have to, you have the freedom to start thinking more about, yeah. okay, geez, that my kids are stable. They're on a good path. My, you know, my wife and I have a good relationship, you know, um, you know, for me, my my most important life purpose, the thing I knew from day one, from very early, early ages, I wanted to be a parent, you know, that was, that has been my most important life's purpose. You know, um, I found great joy in it. I loved being a dad. I loved being a parent. I loved, uh, you know, experiencing life and working my job to support you know, my family's needs and kind of give my family opportunities for healthy development and fun and, and um, interesting experiences. But now, you know, you are, you're very close to being fully independent <laughs> and your sister is very close to being fully independent. And my job as a parent is very different now. So I have less, 
I'm not going to find the purpose. My, my purpose has changed. You don't need me to be the dad you needed me to be when you were five years old, you know? And um, so now I've got to find, well, geez, um, you know, what am I going to do with that? That, what am I going to do with that now? You know um, I need to kind of re, you know, um, continue to live my core values, but kind of, you know, okay, find maybe it's you know, adapt to my purpose, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so it's just, I think a continuous in order to be healthy and, and uh, um, fulfilled and engaged, I think you need to continue to, you know, be evaluating your purpose, not overthink yeah. it, not overdo it, but periodically. So yeah, I'm due for one now that yeah. you, you know, I mean, it's interesting for me too, because it's, I definitely can resonate with that. You know, when you're young, you're just kind of forced into thinking about it, especially, you know, I've been fortunate enough to to do all the college apps and the grad school apps and everything. And those are essentially just like forced checkpoints where they're, they're kind of just like face checking you <laughs> like, uh, yeah. to, to like, oh, you got to think about what, what's your purpose and like then clearly write it down, which has been, um, nice, but also difficult in some ways because it feels like you're warping your, your, your evaluation to fit a specific model of what you think um, someone else wants. And it's definitely important to, to reflect on what your values are. And, and I've had that chance because of that, but um, I feel like I almost haven't done uh, a road mapping or, or, or like a checkpoint where it's really just for me um, and not with some, you know, preset goal yeah, in mind, yeah. I guess I would say. Um, and I should definitely do that. <laughs> I, I think that's important because, you know, what, what I was almost 50 years old when I did it. Right. And I don't know that I ever felt or, or recognized that I had the power to architect my life, to yeah. design my life. That doesn't mean you're going to get everything you want. Right. But I think it's, it, it really was um, a paradigm shift. It shifted, you know, the way I saw my the life. <laughs> The way I saw my life with, by saying, you know what, I have choices, you know, I have, you know, especially I was very fortunate to have a a lot of choices and that, you know, for example, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase that and I don't know how accurate my paraphrasing is, but Richard Leiter, the kind of the the thought leader on purpose, uh, he had a definition of happiness and I believe I've got this generally right. It was, it is living in a place that I love. Uh, in nutritious relationships with family and friends and uh, uh, living and working my life's purpose, you know? And for example, I loved at a young age, I've always loved being outside. I love the natural environment. And I always kind of dreamed of working a job where I would be working outside, but I didn't grow up in an environment where people did that, you know, or I didn't see that modeled anywhere. And I never thought that that's something I could really do or that the place, the physical place where I lived was a worthwhile criteria to determine, to influence my career decisions, you know? So I just think it's really important that, uh, that people at, at the earlier age, the better, um, realize that, you know, it's your life, you know, it's your life, you know, and you are, uh, you own it. You, you have the freedom to try to design your life, you know, and if you design it and then set practical goals to try to execute the design, to make the design happen, to bring the design to real fruition, you know, you have a, it's your best shot of getting there, you know? 
you might have to adapt. You might have to be patient. You might have to prolong gratification or achieving some of those goals along the way. But I think it's really an important way for people to take ownership of their lives, to take responsibility for their lives, to realize that, hey, you have the freedom to do that. You know, you have the intellectual freedom to do that. Well, Paul Passon, Dad, thank you so much for uh, joining me. Wait, I'm not done. I got more. You're still pontificating? (laughs) Go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. Uh, Well, thank you so much for for joining me today. Uh, I know it was a a big ask uh, to get you out of here. (laughs) We've been uh, trying to get this done for, God, so long, um, but I feel like we've just... every. I actually do have one more. I I actually have one more thing, if I could. You know... um, I know the theme of the, these uh, uh, vlogs has been uh, ethical leadership. Yeah. And, you know, one thing, I, I, there's different, I, you know, um, philosophies of leadership, I think, but I think one universal theme that I, the, the a universal theme that I experienced um, trying to become a better leader, there's a couple of two things. One is leadership is a skill development. So yeah. it's kind of a myth if, you know, people feel that you're born leaders. I think people, certain people are born with aptitudes that lend themselves to leadership but effective leadership in large part is skill development and it can be learned and and developed. And number two, I think one of the essential elements, the, uh, an essential element of any successful leader is that they are in relationship with people. I think that's a key element that oftentimes people don't fully appreciate or or acknowledge is that um, to be an effective leader, the people that you're leading need to feel that you care about them and that you are in relationship with them and that you have their best interest genuinely at heart and that you're working for their common good. You're working to help them and not to hurt them and that you are worthy to be followed, you know, that you're worthy, that you, you're trying to lead them somewhere that's of true value and meaning uh, to the organization and to them as individuals. And that, you know, people only commit to a mission that they believe is in line with their personal mission and that has value and that's important. And I think that that is um, not easy to do as a leader, but it's at the it's it's at the core of what it means to be an effective leader. So I just wanted to share that because I think oftentimes that was a great that was a great end point. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, this is a pleasure. Yeah, it was yeah. great having you on. We'll have to get you back on the podcast sometime in the future. <laughs> Hopefully, could, if our schedule's I could probably alive. fit you, probably yeah, fit you in after dinner. Here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Dad. It's All been right, great love you, buddy. You have a lovely day. You've been listening to the Inspiring Brave Leaders podcast by Magnolia Tree. This is Daliana Eliesh, the editor of the podcast. Feel free to reach us or visit our website for more bursts of inspiration around leadership. You can find a link for our website and our social media platforms in our bio. Thank you for tuning in. (music) 